0: Welcome to the Sons of Sam Horn podcast. I am Damian Dyden, back with Justin Gorman for our 21st episode. 21 is one of my favorite numbers, so uh, this is a fun episode for me, and it is going to be a busy episode. There's been a lot of activity, uh, but before we jump in, Justin, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? I'm doing alright, I had a nice waste of three hours at the DMV this morning, but I'm sure uh, everyone can relate to that and nobody needs to
1: hear the story, so we can just <laughs> skip past that. Any Anybody who's ever been to a DMV in any state, anywhere, has had a bad experience, certainly at some point in their lives.
0: You know, the uh, the DMV up here has been good the first two times I've gone, today just ended up being a waste of three hours, and that that's always annoying, so if I get a little ranty a little later, I apologize, but I'm a little fired up. <laughs> Uh, we're going to start with our Red Sox recap, and ooh, it has not been a good week uh, since the last time we recorded. The Red Sox are one in five, and they have scored a total of sixteen runs for two point six seven per game. The slugging percentage has trended downwards. Uh, the the home run rate has not improved. Uh, you know, obviously, this is an unsustainably low level of power production. It's going to get better even if they make absolutely no moves. So, you know, this is not what you should expect going forward. But my my. Concerns about the playoffs are still lingering. They, they have not done much to ease my fears, um, but yeah it's it's been an ugly week.
1: No, yeah, and, and with them with them putting up that few runs and that bad of a record, it's hard to it's hard to not start sounding the alarm bells a little bit. Um, the ALEs race is getting a little bit narrower. Uh, the Red Sox are, are a better team than their record, uh, but at the same time they're they're playing very, very poorly lately and this that they've now I think that as of last night they're out of first place they're now first place for the wild card correct
0: they are a half game behind the Yankees the the Rays are also breathing down their neck uh, you are correct their Pythag record is 58 and 46 as opposed to the 56 and 48 real life record so there has been a little bit of underperformance there but that's that's within standard deviation so it's it's probably not meaning a meaningful difference uh but it's yeah it's it's been a, it's been a bad month Overall, they just haven't played good baseball in in July, and part of that is you know Xander Bogarts hasn't been able to hit a lick since he got hit on the hand, and he just he might need a a couple of days to just reset. So maybe they can give him a a quick breather. Maybe they even do a ten day disabled list and and just you know let him clear his heads, uh, clear his head his heads, uh, clear his head, and uh, and try and come back fresh. Obviously, Mitch Moreland is still not hitting. He hasn't hit since he broke his toe. The hope is that both of these guys figure it out to some degree going forward, and neither one of them needs to be a monster going forward. But, you know, if Mitch Moreland can get back to about 10% above league average and Xander Bogarts can get back to what we know he's capable of, this, the offense is going to look a lot better in a hurry.
1: Yeah, and I, I kind of agree. I think that it might not be a bad idea to to give Xander Bogarts a little time on the DL. And I know that we have this uh, slated for later in the episode. But one of the reasons why that might be a good idea right now is because they, the Red Sox did trade for Eduardo Nunez, who is not, you know, he's not going to blow the doors off of your, your baseball, uh, uh, your ballpark. But he is he's good enough to be able to be a good st- uh, stopgap. If you want to give Bogart some time off to heal, same with Moreland, if you want to give him some time off for the toe to heal or to get some physical therapy, Eduardo Nunez might be able to, to fill in for a couple games. So he's, he's a decent utility guy. Uh, he's obviously, like I said, he's not going to blow the doors off, but he's a serviceable replacement and might be able to spell some guys to, to give them some time off. I mean he's
0: basically what Holt used to give the team before the concussion and vertigo issues in, in in the sense that he's versatile plays a bunch of different positions and is a pretty good bat. He's probably a little bit better offensively than Holt usually was, but he's and also he's, not as good defensively. So yeah, no, he he's, he's
1: not as good defensively, but he's also faster. So he's got yeah. he's got a bit more speed, so he's able to steal swipe some bags. Not that Brock Holt isn't able to, but I think Nuñez just has a little bit more uh, of a stolen base capability, um, certainly he ge- he gives you probably equivalent number of tools, just slightly different tools than Brock Holt. But he, you know that's not a bad fit. That that's somebody who's that, that's who
0: is a good ba- bench useful. player. That that's yeah. I mean, and that's if that's what he's brought in to do. That that's you know, that I'm I'm happy with that trade. They didn't give up much of of no. uh, of value. We'll get into the specifics later, but. Uh, it's, if he was the answer at third, if he was, you know, uh, he basically gives you the same level of overall offense as Todd Frazier, but the skill set is different. So it didn't also plug the additional hole they have with power. So I'm not sure if he'd necessarily is a better addition, uh, as, as an answer at third base than Todd Frazier would have been, but it looks like Devers is up for the foreseeable future, which is a, a sigh of relief for me because I didn't want to see him come up and go back down immediately. Would have been a waste of an option year if that's what they were doing. Uh, but yeah. it's it looks like he's up for a while.
1: And the Red Sox fan base would have pretty much, I think, spontaneously combusted had Dombrowski traded for Eduardo Nunez and immediately after one game sent Devers back down to AAA, myself and yourself included. If, if, if Eduardo <laughs> Nunez was supposed to be the guy that is to replace Rafael Devers on, on the roster, nobody's going to be happy about that.
0: No, and I mean, Red Sox Nation is imploding uh, for entirely different reasons at the moment, and part of that is driven by the the David Price injury. He is back on the disabled list with inflammation in the elbow. Uh, you know, my the conspiracy theorist in me is worried that what's going to happen is it's being kind of downplayed right now. Like, he just needs, needs some time on the DL. He'll be back this season. We expect him to be back to... You know the 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 semi dominant guy he had been recently, but my fear is that they're downplaying it to make sure that they're not going to get hosed on the trade market while trying to find a replacement because they're also touting the Doug Fister is going to be fine in in the number five role and nobody buys that. Um, but it, my worry is that we're going to see like Tuesday or Wednesday that he gets moved to the 60 day and then he's, you know, going off for a surgery, uh, you know, later in the week or something like that. And that this is just kind of a, let's keep it under wraps until we get through the trade deadline and can maybe find a, a solution. Uh, it's, I, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's disappointing to see him back on the DL though.
1: It is. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little hopeful that, that, that your fears don't come true, but I'll take your conspiracy theory over any conspiracy theory that involves David Price being put on the DL in order to remove him as a distraction or to prevent him from getting boos in Fenway Park because that's ludicrous. All right,
0: yeah, I'm going to stop you for a minute. If you are listening to this show and you genuinely believe that the Red Sox are participating in a conspiracy with David Price to to hide him from the Fenway fans so he won't get booed in the midst of a tight playoff race, you're insane. Yes. You have lost your mind. Bonkers. It's... You know, I don't want to put too much time into this because it's it's ridiculous, uh, but the, this is tying into the, the Fire Ferrell Brigade, and while I get that people don't like him, that a lot of fans are not big fans of his, and I'm not even that big a fan of his, I don't think he's a great manager, so what I'm about to say is not, Farrell is the guy we have to band behind him. If they find an uh, an obvious upgrade and manager spot in the off season and they move in that direction, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, I'm not going to shed any tears for him, but... No. The idea that he's one of the worst managers out there is also pretty pretty preposterous. You know, the, it's, I get it. When the Red Sox struggle, you got to point your finger at somebody. And the manager's an easy target. But I, the big argument that gets thrown out is look at the record in 2014 and 2015. And my counter to that is look at the record in 2013 and 2016. And consider the fact that 2014 and 2015 were part of a rebuilding process where they were trying to establish a new core of players. Yeah.
1: Teams don't usually win during those transitions. Yeah, and two thousand fourteen and two thousand fifteen cannot be blamed squarely on John Farrell. Uh two thousand fifteen especially.
0: I mean Pablo Sandoval yeah. signing is a huge part of why they struggled.
1: Yeah, so there, there's a lot of front office blame. There's a lot of blame to go around between players, front office, and manager, and I'm not absolving John Farrell. And I'm I've been kind of reluctant to get on the fire Farrell train. In fact, I've probably gone too far in defending him on, on several occasions. However I I do think that there is, I, first of all, the Red Sox falling out of first place is 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 pretty terrible, and and the manager certainly deserves some blame for that, not all of it, but some of it. If he, he first of all, let, let let's just clear the air right now. John Farrell is leaps and bounds beyond Bobby Fa- Valentine. Yes, John Farrell is much. not Bobby Valentine. However. If John Farrell experiences some level of collapse between now and at the end of the season if the Red Sox fall out of first place, fall out of playoff contention, John Farrell's job is gone. There's no doubt about it. He is low-hanging fruit and he will be fired in the offseason. Right. I expect the whole,
0: the whole coaching staff would probably be out the door if they if they don't make the playoffs this year. Uh,
1: hopefully other than Chili Davis. I like
0: Chili, but um I I guess it depends on how much of this, you know, no power all contact approach yeah. Is driven by him because yeah, I think they went point. too far with it, but it's not entirely going to be Chile because it's not like they can enact an entire team-wide policy on just the batting coaches <laughs> say so. Yeah, but I mean, you also have to consider that the kids, a lot of these kids who struggled offensively, broke out under Chile Davis. So, yeah, you know, I'm 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 not quite sure what to think about that. But yeah, if they miss the playoffs, Farrell's gone, and that's fine. I mean, that's that's I mean, that's baseball. If yeah. you, if you take a team that is expected to win your division and you don't make the playoffs and yes, injuries are playing a part, but part of it, and part of it is the, the approach of the front office, but you gotta win some games. So if they, you know, if they make the wild card and they, they win the playoff playing game and they lose in the division series, I, 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 I could go either way. I don't think he'll get fired in that instance, but if yeah. it's anything less than that, yeah, he's gone and deservedly so.
1: But yeah, there's, there's part of me that also thinks that Farrell's not Dombrowski's guy. Um, and but he's you know, John,
0: but he's John Henry's guy. And that's, yeah, so, there, that's yeah so there's, there's, he's got some pull in that front office, obviously. Uh, but look, look, I'm not a huge Farrell fan. I'm not going to cry if he gets fired in the off season, but this idea that they
1: have to fire him in season, insane. It's yeah, not happening.
0: It, it's, and it's, it's, it's
1: a terrible idea. It's all it's going to do is create more upheaval than already exists. And well, what we, and here's, what
0: we yeah, here, here's where that gets nuts, though. It, people are talking about this, this. Clubhouse is melting down and Farrell has lost control and the inmates are running the asylum and I don't see it. Like this look, Eck is it, obviously David Price and, and Dennis Eckersley don't like each other, and that's probably more Price disliking Eck than the other way around, but Eck has never been a guy who's been terribly well liked. Even when he was a player, his teammates didn't like him much. So the no, fact I... that he's under the
1: skin of the players is not surprising. He's not exactly the most warm and cuddly and sympathetic figure in the in the press box and that's and he, one he, of the reasons I like him is because right. he is very critical and he's very blunt and a lot of people in professional sports are not used to that they're used to their it's home announcers different. catering to their every need.
0: Right. And I so it's not surprising that the players don't like him. So the fact that Price now let's be let's be clear let's be honest. Price he's he's a jackass. He's always been he yes. was like that in, in Tampa. He was like that in Detroit. It's not a surprise that he's like that in Boston. So the fact that he did this is not surprising. It does not make it not crappy. It is. It was a crappy thing to do. It was It was unprofessional, not trying to mince words there.
1: The yeah, fact it that was the childish. Team, yeah, and it the was, fact that the
0: it, teammates, you know, cheered it, that was also childish. It was immature. But let's think about this for a second. We're talking about a group of guys in their 20s and early 30s who have been insulated from the, the real world their entire lives, who get paid hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to play a kid's game for a living. It should not surprise anybody that there's some immaturity running through that that clubhouse. I mean, that, that's going to be true of pretty much any clubhouse. And yep. if this is anything, it's showing that this team is united in this dislike of, of, of Eck. There's not a split there. And Farrell apparently doesn't like him much either, so it's not like Farrell's trying to get yeah. on X side and
1: tell the team to cut the crap. He's in there yeah. with them, so th- yeah, I don't see th- division until the, until the media really forced the issue, uh, nobody was coming to X defense, um, n- neither players nor front office nor manager right. were coming to X defense. And that to me spoke somewhat volumes. And then obviously once the, once the issue is pushed, Farrell kind of softly condemned prices behavior and Pedroya held a press conference and basically said, look, I, I said, so I had a discussion with Eck, and price is going to have a discussion with act the next time they see each other. And, and honestly, that, that should be it. Yeah. That's just that should be the end of the issue. It should be. It won't
0: be, but it should be. And yeah. look, if you're if you're focused on this negative this this negative story and you're tying it into the the current struggles on the field and you're trying to use it as the driving force for the struggles on the field, I don't think that that works because they started playing like crap before this happened. Or before it hit yeah. the media at least right? Because it happened yeah. a while back and it, it took a while to get out. Um, so I don't think that's necessarily the driving factor and it's it, that's a causation versus correlation thing for me. And look, there's so much amazing positive stuff going on right now that you could be focusing on. Why would you want to focus on this negative stuff? Uh, Chris Sale is having the most dominant pitching season in a Red Sox uniform since Pedro Martinez was in his prime. And, and not Chris, not an Sale also,
1: Chris Sale is also the fastest 200Ks in a, in a season. Right. I mean, he's having an absolutely historic season. Yeah. Why aren't you focusing on that? Why aren't you
0: focusing on, on Rafael Devers coming up and looking like he can handle Major League pitching right out of the gate? Hitting a home run for his his first Major League hit. And man, that power is easy. That swing is beautiful. The power is easy. Even the two ground balls that he's had that have gone for hits were hit very hard. So this this is an exciting young kid you can focus on. You can yeah. look at the fact that Mookie Betts is, is even though through the slump, is still one of the better overall players in the game when you consider how good he is defensively. Or the fact that they have one of the smoothest defensive center fielders that they've ever had on the field in Boston, Jackie Bradley Jr., making highlight real plays on a regular basis. You know, I mean, focus on Dustin Pedroia still being one of the most spectacular and exciting defensive second basemen in the game. There's so much you could be focusing on. The, yeah. uh, yes, the team just slipped out of first place, but they're still in contention. They are still right there in the playoff hunt, and they are still probably the favorites to win the division, despite the fact that they're on this skid, because this is as bad as they have gotten, and this is the first time they've actually lost four games in a row all season.
1: Yeah, and and the other thing that that should be kept in mind is, you know, and and irrespective of what ends up happening at the end of this year, um, how this this season ends up finishing out, this is a team that's together for, for a few years, who has there there's continuity here. They're not going the, the Sox are not going to have to make a whole lot of moves in the off season. Their core is there and under control for several years into the future now. And so the, these pieces are, are in the beginning stages of coalescing. David price is not John lackey. This is not chicken and beer. This is a team that is together for the next few years. And they need to figure out the kinks. They need to figure out the nuances. It's a bunch of new kids and a bunch of older guys, and I mean that relatively speaking. I mean David Price is technically one of the older guys in the clubhouse, considering how many young people, young players they have in the clubhouse. So I, I think it's just a matter of there, there's a learning curve here, and this team is 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 starting to grow. It's just growing pains. That's what that's what it is. And you're never as bad as your losing streaks, and you're never as good as your hot
0: streaks. You're always somewhere in between, and this is this is the low point. I don't think it's possible that they can play worse than this going forward. So you know, take take it in stride. This is this is the low point of the season. I promise you. I mean, it's gonna get better.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not. In fairness, it's not going to get better as long as Doug Fister's the number five. I mean, he's... I, I don't expect that to last.
0: <laughs> I, I really don't think that is a a a, a permanent fix, especially I, if I, if Price has gone long term.
1: I just I just have to. To say his numbers. He's 0-5 with a 7.46 ERA, a 5.79 FIP, and a 5.93 X FIP.
0: What's his walk rate? I don't have his, his page up right now. I know it was like a six earlier. Yeah, he's
1: walking 6.04 <laughs> per nine. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So this is, uh, I mean, this these are the kinds of numbers that we decided to drop um, Cozart from our, our prospect check-in for.
1: Yeah. D- uh, the, the, Doug Fister is the, kind- Doug Fister's the type of Band-Aid that when it gets the... Uh, the uh, The smallest amount of water on it, it just falls off.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, uh, uh, I I think that that's a really gross analogy, and I I think we can move on.
1: (laughs) I'm just saying, like, if you go swimming with a band aid, sometimes some band aids are really good. I used to work for an adhesive company, so I actually have insights into this. We got an expert, I I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, I have insights.
0: Well, we've we've successfully spent about three times as much time on this uh, the the Eck price story than than I promised we would. So I apologize yeah. for for driving us off the cliff there. But uh, uh, we were I both did, complicit. Yeah, and and I, I did warn you. I'm feeling ranty today. So uh, let's <laughs> let's move on to the 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 big trade. We we hinted at a little bit. Eduardo Nunez from uh, the San Francisco Giants came over to the Red Sox, and you know this is. We, we, you know, as we mentioned, it's it, it, this is a band aid. This is an actual band aid that is meant to stop some bleeding. And he's a decent player. He's you know, if he's basically your your Brock Holt two I think he's fine in that role. He's you know he's he's going to steal the bases. He's he's going to get on base at an acceptable rate. He's he's a league average bat. So he brings the floor up. And that's this is something the, the two thousand thirteen Red Sox did very well. They came in with a very low floor, low ceiling team. And they brought the floor up really high. And yeah. Eduardo Nunez does not bring the floor up a huge amount, but he brings the floor up. And that's that's important.
1: That's why yeah, I said bats for Devin Morero. It's true, and, and he's also available to spell other guys, give give players days off, and he's he just immediately became their best bench bat, really. I mean, he doesn't yep. walk a whole lot, but he only strikes out. He's only struck out a 9% rate this year, so he's making a lot of contact, and that's translating into a, a fairly healthy slash line. 311 batting average is, not, is nothing to sneeze at, and a 340 on base. Just as you said, he gets on base enough to be serviceable in the lineup. That's a lot better. I mean, Devin Marrero is is well below the Mendoza line at this point. So Eduardo Nunez is an enormous upgrade on either Marrero or Rutledge. And he's, he's a very, very good utility guy, a very good bench bat.
0: And, you know, the thing with this trade is they didn't give up anything that's all that impressive. Uh, Sean Anderson and Gregory Santos, and I'm going to be surprised if most people have any idea who Gregory Santos is, and many of you probably have not even heard of Sean Anderson. So you know, these are two fairly... Uninspiring prospects. Uh, Santos was in the the DSL. He's super far away. Uh, doesn't. I mean, DSL numbers mean pretty much nothing. So even though he's having success there, it doesn't really tell us much. Uh, so it, they paid almost nothing to bring in a, a solid solid bench uh, bench arm bench bat bench defender, whatever.
1: And that formula seems to be carrying over to all of the trades we've seen yeah. this week, hasn't it? It's I mean, been you weird. see, it's it's bizarre. A lot of a lot of nothingness going for you know kind of a middling bat or a middling set of pitchers it's just been that there hasn't been anything any real names worth noting
0: right i mean there's like maybe one or two trades in this list that we're going to go through that are worth digging into at all and i mean i'll just i'll just start rattling off a few of them uh, the the white Sox sent anthony swarzak to the brewers for ryan cordell uh, Sworzak's having a solid season, but you know, this is kind of his breakout year. He's not all that impressive of a of a reliever. He's decent. Adds add some stability, I guess. Dan Jennings went to the Rays for uh, Casey Gillespie and Mark Tompkin. So yeah, you know, that's you know going to the White Sox. Dan Jennings came from the White Sox. Uh, Pat Nieshek. This is a decent trade to talk about. Nieshek went to uh, the Rockies for Jose Gomez, JD Hammer, a great baseball name by the way, JD Hammer, and Alejandro uh Requena, uh, I don't know how do say? Ricanha, yeah. there you go. Uh going to the Phillies. So we can stop and, and dig into this one a little bit cuz Nishek is one of the targets the Red Sox were tied to and he's obviously having a very good season and this is this is a nice pickup for the um sorry, my my brain just went kaput uh but this this is
1: the Rockies yes,
0: this is a nice pickup for the Rockies um I'll probably yeah. leave that in and show people that every once in a while my my brain just stops working
1: yeah ne Nishak has has been pretty solid over the course of his career as a reliever he's um yeah you know, he's not a closer type uh but he's a very good setup guy or middle reliever um this year has been one of his best years. Uh, by the numbers, he's he's striking out ten per nine innings. Has a one point one two ERA, a one nine four FIP, and a three point one five xFIP, which is actually kind of strange. But either way, he's he's been pitching very well uh, this year, and I, I think his his contract expires at the end of this year, so he's he's going to be a free agent. But you know, I mean, the the Rockies didn't give up a whole lot for Nieschek, and Nieschek's good, and he's a submariner. A submariner, if you will, sub, submariner, Ooh. Um, sub- mm, San Diegans. Um, <laughs> so he's he he comes at you. He's he's a little bit of a different offering out on the mound, and to have that kind of effect- effectiveness and low ERA while you know scraping your knuckles is is always a, a pretty nice change of pace coming out of the bullpen.
0: The uh, the xFIP is purely a product of a home run per fly ball rate of four point eight percent. The last time he was this low was two thousand fourteen, I think was it? Yes, two thousand fourteen, where he was at four point three percent, which is also the last time he had a sub two ERA. So this is this is a good time to pick him up. He's having a good season, and uh, he should be a nice boost to the Rockies, who apparently are not ready to punt, and uh, they're 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 trying to make something of this season. After that, we have. Uh, a trade between the Royals and the Padres. It looks like the Royals have picked up Brandon Morrow, Tra- Trevor Cahill, and Ryan Butcher. Uh, Butcher is not a good baseball name. And, no, 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 not at all. Uh, and of course, that uh, the the return on that was Travis Wood, Mark uh, Mark uh, Matt Strom, and Estery uh, Ruiz Ruiz uh, Ruiz. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: you know this one. This one's interesting. This seems like the the Royals were just gathering pieces for the sake of gathering pieces. Um, Brandon Marr was was good in 2015. He had a 3 ERA. Um, other than that, he's he's relatively unspectacular. I mean, he throws kind of hard, but he's got a 5.58 five, ERA and a three 315 FIP, 359 XFIP. So I guess they saw something in him uh, that that said that he could contribute uh, for the Royals down the stretch. And then Trevor Cahill you know kind of mediocre arm again you know he's we're not, having we're a not...
0: decent season actually he's he's had his struggles uh, the last few years and difficulties with health and but he's got a three six nine era a three four oh fip and a three three five X xfip so he's, he's a decent middle of the rotation arm uh, it definitely helps that team i think he's got a, an excellent strikeout per nine this year at 10.62 so uh, he's having a pretty good year i think that's a decent addition to a team that's it's it's in the wild card hunt they're not they're not likely going to win that division, but you know, this is a move that makes it a little more likely that they're going to end up in the postseason.
1: Another one of the, these these trades that we have on this list is Jaime Garcia and Anthony Recker to the Twins for Wasker Inua to the Braves, going to the Braves. That's, again, there's not really a whole lot to talk about other than Jaime Garcia is, a, again, probably comparable to Trevor Cahill in so much as he's a good middle middle to to low-end relief or uh, starter, excuse me. Um, the Rays and Marlins swapped Steve C- Cishek and Erasmo R- Ramirez. Again, not kind really a, <laughs> a whole lot to talk about. Right. Um, the Rays, though, also traded Drew Sm- R- relief pitcher Drew Smith to the Mets for Lucas Duda. This one.
0: I- this is where we get sh- into. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. We should pump the brakes and and stop for a second before, on this one. Before
0: we do, I do want to point out that Jaime Garcia is already being shopped by the Twins. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> they had him less than a week, and they put him back in the market. So, Excellent. Um, but yeah, Duda is, is is an interesting. I mean, this he he's having a really good season. Yeah, he, he's a good power hitter. I mean, he's he's about thirty percent better than league average at a one twenty nine WRC plus. The ISO is at two ninety four, so he's hitting the ball with authority. He's got eighteen home runs. Yeah, he's 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 a prototypical power hitter in today's day and age. He hits a lot of home yeah. runs. He hits a lot of doubles. He strikes out twenty five percent of the time. This is this is what power looks like for the most part in Major League Baseball today. And the Rays are already a team that has a lot of thump and a lot of strikeouts. And so he fits that mold very well. And he makes them he makes them a better team.
1: Yeah, he does. And and last year, Lucas Duda had a bit of an off here. He he slashed 229, 302, 412. Uh, good for 91, uh, a 91 WRC plus. Um, but he only played in 47 games. So he was obviously injured last year. He's back to his normal career average, I mean he's literally right on top of his career average other than his sluggings kind of off the charts this year. He's got eighteen home runs he's got thirty eight runs driven in, and he's slugging five forty one he's good uh, that's yeah. a very good addition, and that's a low price to pay for lucas Duda
0: he's one of the names that people started kind of associating with the Red Sox a little bit because it looks like you know it's been looking like Moreland's not going to break out of it or that he might need a DL stint. And Duda would have been a very nice addition to the Red Sox, who are are in need of some power. So it's a little disappointing to see him go for such a you know such a low price to a division rival that's uh, that's nipping on your heels already. The Mets were also involved in a trade with the Marlins, where they sent Miranda Gonzalez and uh, Ricardo Suspedes uh, over for reliever AJ Ramos. I'm not really sure what the Mets are doing with this one because they're they're not in it. They're not getting back into it. And you know, I, I guess uh, is I don't even know is Ramos under control for a few years? Let me go to Cots and take a look. I,
1: I the only thing I took from this trade is the the is that the Mets have two Cespeduses. Cespedi. They, well, they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's all that's I got. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't. I don't really. I I'm I'm scrolling looking for AJ Ramos to see how much control they have over him and see if that may be a trade for the future. If it's you not, know, I don't baseball really Baseball Reference
1: it. has it has him as um, signed through 2017. He's, he's arbitration eligible. Yeah, no, he's a free oh, agent in 2019. He's arbitration okay. eligible in 2018.
0: All right, if the Mets think they're going to be in it next year, I guess that makes some sense for them. Uh, it's just kind of weird to see a team that's clearly out of it buying. Uh, but, hey, yeah, you know, uh, it's it's Mets. They didn't, Mets, so they didn't maybe...
1: give up much. They, they give up the other Cespedes. Yeah,
0: yeah. and somebody named Morandi. After that, we've got the Phillies uh, sending Jeremy Hellickson to the O's for Garrett Clevenger and uh, Hyun-Soon Kim, as well as a little bit of IFA money. I don't get this trade for the Phillies, like, at all. Like, what what are they doing here?
1: Um, they're they're getting rid of Jeremy Hellickson? No, they're they're getting him. Oh. No, they're getting rid of him. Oh, I'm
0: sorry, I said the Phillies. What are the O's doing? I'm, I'm more curious about what the O's are doing. Yeah, they're uh,
1: getting Jeremy Hellickson. So... <laughs>
0: But why? It's... I I don't know. I I can't answer that question. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering if Dan Duquette can even answer that question. I mean, Hellickson got a four-seven it's, it's Dan Duquette ERA. and it's Jeremy
1: Hellickson. I feel like this is a match made in in
0: heaven. He's got a five-five-zero FIP and a five-three-nine exit. There's nothing here. He strikes out five point
1: two one per nine. There's nothing. I don't I and, don't get it. And remember, he's making seventeen point two million dollars this year.
0: Like I. Oh, it's Dan Duquette. Whatever. Yeah. It's, I, yeah. All right. Um. Uh. After that, you've got the Nationals acquiring Luke Farrell uh, or Farrell from the Royals for cash, and that's been the the as far as I was able to find, that's all the activity that happened this week. There were no major trades. In fact, there hasn't been a blockbuster yet. There the, the, the closest to I, it, I guess, is the White Sox and Yankees, and and that's that's a decently sized trade. I don't think I'd call it a blockbuster, though.
1: I'd, I'd say it was it, in. Compared to the rest of the trades, yeah, it's the biggest trade so far. Uh, it involved the highest prospect in Blake Rutherford, and it 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 yielded the the biggest, I think, major league, um, return in Fraser and and Robertson. But yeah, you're right. There hasn't been one of those one of those. We've gone through several trade deadlines where there hasn't been a blockbuster trade. So there's no guarantee that's going to happen.
0: Right, and I mean, the trade deadline is just different now than it was even four or five years ago. The the way the CBA has evolved, teams are striking faster and, and going after plugging their holes earlier in July. I don't think you're going to see the flurry of activity that you've seen in previous years on, on the deadline day. And I mean, like, there's some big names still out there, but it's just, I don't know. I mean, teams are, are looking for larger deals where they're, they're trading for a bunch of players from one source instead of making smaller trades across multiple teams. It's just, it's different. Also,
1: I mean, we're, we're also talking about a trade market that doesn't have a whole lot of big names anyway. So it's yeah. not really a trade market where, you know, there are a lot of players people are really drooling over.
0: Well, And there are a lot of buyers and there just aren't that many sellers, right? I mean, it's yeah. with the, the expansion of the wild card, so many teams still think they have a shot to get in that it doesn't make sense to sell. And, you know, so, yeah, you got a handful. Like, uh, Hugh Darvish is, is on the market. The Rangers have decided, you know what, if we can get a good return for him, it's worth it pulling the trigger. We'll try and sign him in the offseason. And the Dodgers and the Yankees have been attached to to Darvish there. If if the Yankees pick him up, I am going to be very, very unhappy about the state of the division at that point. Uh, same, I Not ah. quite to the same degree with Sonny, uh, Sonny Gray and the Yankees. I, I mean, I think Sonny Gray makes that a better pitching staff because the staff is a mess but Darvish could could transform them a little bit.
1: Uh, maybe. Darvish is having a very off year, so I'm not totally convinced um, that, that he can, but I agree. That's that's a name that I'd be a lot more... I, I, I would look twice. I wouldn't necessarily look twice if, if Sonny Gray went to New York.
0: Yeah, I mean, he would add a little bit of stability to the middle of the rotation, but they're still relying on Seferino to be their ace at that point, or Tanaka to, to figure out how to not suck anymore yeah uh, so i'm not as worried about that but darvish i think has a, a better likelihood of stepping in and, and figuring out how to be that ace again whereas i think you take gray out of you know, out of oakland and you put him in new york in that tiny stadium and it's gonna it's gonna show in his numbers
1: yeah and he's he's i've, I've talked about sonny gray on this podcast before um so I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna belabor the point. I just no, agree with have you to completely go deep, deep I don't deep think deep. I don't think Sonny Gray is that good. And I think as soon as you remove him from Oakland, his 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 true colors are going to show.
0: To be fair, I'm not saying he's a bad pitcher. He's no. just not a front of the rotation pitcher. And it's gonna cost front of the rotation pieces. Like yes. the rumor is that the, the A's want Clint Frazier or Gleyber Torres as the headliner plus They want Mateo and Sheffield and other pieces like that on top. So, I mean, they're asking for the the moon and the stars, and and they should because he's under control for so long. They're they're not under any pressure to move him right now. But if somebody's willing to to panic and blink and and pay that price, then, yeah, you should let him go. Uh, So I I won't be surprised if he is still in Oakland come Tuesday. Yonder Alonso, on the other hand, I think is probably going to move, and the Yankees have been tied to him as well. But as part of the the Sonny Gray talks, I don't know how much interest they'd have if – Sonny Gray wasn't part of what was coming back but beyond the Yankees I haven't heard a lot of rumors about him uh there's been some ties to the Red Sox I'm not too high on him as an acquisition target for the Red Sox because I don't think he's likely to be any better than Mitch Moreland going forward with the assumption that Moreland is going to get back to being what he usually in his career which is about a league average hitter with you know 15-20 home run power in a given season
1: yeah I I don't, I don't hate the idea of acquiring Alonzo as long as the price is right. Just because he does add some power to this lineup, um, and he's been he's been good this year, and that's all you are getting him for is this year, and he's only making four million this year, so it's not as though he's going to cost a lot. And he would add some pop, um, you know, kind of to to balance out the acquisition of Eduardo Nunez, who adds a little bit more on base and speed. You get some some more power in Alonzo if Mitch Moreland, if his toe is bad enough you know, you don't want to rely on him for the rest of the year. So he might, Yonder Alonso is not a terrible pickup.
0: If they don't think Moreland's going to get back to what they were hoping him to be, then yeah, he's an adequate replacement. He's not an upgrade, I don't think. If you look at his splits by month, he had four home runs in April. He had 10 in May. He had a monster May. Yeah, And then he had three in June and he's had four in July. So you're probably looking at, at picking him up and getting maybe eight, to 10 more home runs total out of him. And I'm not sure that's really much more than you're likely to get out of Moreland if he's, if he's healthy.
1: Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It It's still, I don't think it's a terrible pickup either way. He could be a very good uh, bench bat pinch hitter type as well.
0: If they didn't have two first base only guys in Moreland and Hanley on the roster already, I'd be a little more inclined to agree with you, but I just, I don't think they can tie up another spot on the 25 man with a guy who only plays first or DH. Sure. But, you know, we'll we'll move forward. Uh, Justin Verlander is supposedly on the market. I don't know if it's likely he's going to get moved, though. He's got a huge contract, so teams like the Red Sox certainly aren't going after him. The Yankees, I guess, if both the Darvish and Gray Markets fall apart, might decide to bring him in. But he's not having a good year. He, he had a, a Cy Young caliber season last year, has had a significant drop-off from there and this could just be another down year with the up years coming in you know in 2018 and 2019 or this might be the decline that everybody thought was coming anyways
1: yeah and i'll i'll be honest i've always been a huge justin verlander fan i like him a lot i think he's a great pitcher i don't want to see his decline start yet um, I still think unless he goes to year. the Yankees and then, then and then his on. decline his decline can start <laughs> yesterday thank you very much yeah no I, I'd be surprised if, if the Tigers aren't willing to eat some of this contract that's a huge contract and it's through 2019 with an option year I would be really really surprised if anybody trades for him without the Tigers eating a whole lot of that contract
0: yeah I agree So uh, the Tigers also have Justin Wilson on the market and the Red Sox have been tied to them. They've apparently been scouting him and Dombrowski loves his former Tigers. So that's a possibility. He's not that expensive. Addison Reed, uh, also somebody the Red Sox have been tied to. We went into detail on both of them in last week's episode. So if you're interested in our takes on either of those pitchers, by all means, uh, check out last week's episode and, and we've got some more detail there. So get, getting back to some good news for the Red Sox. Rafael Devers, uh, he was promoted. He stepped up and has looked pretty good at the plate so far. He did not have a hit in his first game. I stayed up hoping to see it because uh, I had to work the next day and it was a day game. And uh, did not get his first Major League hit. But in his second game, he did, and he did it in a big way. I'm guessing most of you have seen the, the replay or saw it live. Uh, he, his, first, his first hit was a home run, and it was a bomb to center field. Okay, I will continue. It really down.
1: was. I mean, it yeah. was it 429 feet. 427, I think. 427. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 a that's a big boy uh, hitting a, hitting hitting his first home run right there. That's not an accident.
0: No, uh, I mean his his raw power has always been kind of off the charts, like really excellent raw power. The question was how much of it was going to translate to the game, and the just just watching him over the the few games he's played so far, the ball just jumps off his bat. He's got really good barreling skills so he gets the good part of the bat on the ball uh looks like frequently at least in the short stint with the majors like the two ground balls were hit very hard and the fly balls I mean they carry more than you think like that ball came off his bat and I wasn't sure it was a home run and then it cleared the fence by a long long way uh so he generates good backspin which helps the ball stay up in the air and carry uh and that's that's really good he's got some good natural loft in that swing it's it's a beautiful left-handed swing and uh, you know, it's—he looks like he can be everything this Red Sox team is is hoping he was going to develop into. Because all the tools you need for him to be a, a middle of the order presence are there. He makes good contact. He doesn't strike out much. He takes walks at a good clip. He's got a good natural bit of loft in his swing and excellent natural power. So this is the the Rafael Devers era is starting. I was more excited about this call than I was about Moncada. And the main reason for that is that Mankata had enough questions about his ability to, to make contact with the ball that you had it in the back of your head that he could have a rough transition a la Byron Buxton. Uh, th- that wasn't really a question with Devers. Like you, you, you looked at his profile. Even if you're just looking at the numbers, there's no indication that he's got those kind of contact issues. So that that's a little bit of a safer profile for promotion. It was more of the, the Mookie bets than the Xander Bogarts if you want to do an
1: in-house comparison. Yeah, one last little bit of numbers on Devers' home run, is that um, StatCast measured, not only did they measure the, the home run at 427 feet, but it uh, exited off the bat at 108.5 miles an hour. Yeah, so that's,
0: that's, a, that's a good poke. Yep, it sure is. You know, we, we've we uh, referenced net a number of times on the show. It is the, the birthplace of all things Sons of Sam Horn. And there was an excellent description by a, a poster there, Paul and Mir Birch. And he described the swing as controlled violence. A lot of kinetic energy and, and, and an ability to, to keep control of the bad head. And I think that's a great description. I believe it's Paul in Myrtle Beach. Okay, well, it's, it's yeah, Paul.
1: Same thing! Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Paul and whatever. M- Well, M-, M Y R, so uh, that might be what it's meant to convey. I apologize for butchering it, but I did want to credit the poster who, who yeah. did have the description. Uh it's it's a great way to describe it. There's there's a ton of kinetic energy in his swing, but he has got really I mean everything about the swing is really really pretty to watch from the way his hips clear to uh, just the, the the timing, the I mean everything, it just it all lines up. It's repeatable yeah. and it is fun to watch. So I'm really excited about him.
1: One of the one of the things about that post that I think resonated with me was that um was his assertion that he's a confident hitter. That that would explain why Devers has shown has, has not really taken any steps back. As he's has he's he's kind of risen through the ranks of the minor league system, his numbers are alarmingly consistent if not improving. And part of that is because it seems as though uh, He is a confident hitter and therefore isn't worried about the pitching getting better. He is confident enough in his abilities that he thinks, I can go up there and I can hit. That to me is the perfect recipe to have somebody this young called up to the major leagues. And I think you saw the same thing in Andrew Benintendi. He's a confident hitter. He's able to come up and not let the the, the gravitas of being in, in the majors kind of get to him. Right, and you're
0: you know also talking about another guy who has excellent contact skills. It's easy to be a little easier to be confident when you know you can get the bat on the ball, uh, and and that certainly has shown in a small sample with Rafael Devers, and has shown over a larger sample with with Intendi. Yeah, another another quick uh, observation from Sonsamhorn.net that popped up. Another poster named Detz. Talked about a friend of his who had played uh, in high A uh, as, as a professional baseball player who was just bewildered about how somebody that young can swing that hard and still control the barrel of the bat. So this Devers is a special talent, and he's got all the tools you're looking for for a middle-of-the-order bat, and I can't wait to see what it's like when he gets into his prime and is settled in is that. Because, I mean, look, I'm not saying this kid isn't going to struggle. He's a rookie. He's 20 years old. He's going to have some struggles. He's going to have some some cold streaks and, and points where he looks like he's he's hopeless against breaking balls. I'm sure the first time he sees a really good wipeout slider, he's going to look silly. Because you don't see those in the minors. And he's not going to know what to do with it. It's going to need some time to adjust. And the league's going to build a book on him. And he's going to have to adjust to the adjustments they make and all that. The The game is going to get played. But... I, you know, this is. I'm as confident in him reaching something close to that ceiling as as I have been as, in pretty much any other prospect that they've promoted in the last decade or so.
1: Yeah, the the one thing I'm going to be thankful for is that I don't need to see Raphael Devers face Chris Sale's slider anytime soon. <laughs> thank, thank thank God for small miracles. <laughs>
0: So let's uh, let's roll right into the prospect check-in, and uh, I think I ch- I picked first last time. I, uh, we've got Tanner Houck and Cole Brannan. Which which one would you like to take? I would like to take Cole Brannan. Okay, I will start us off with Tanner Houck then, and this is just a wonderful bit of fun with small sample sizes because he has played in three games. He's got four point one innings under his belt, so the numbers don't really mean much. But he's got a six two three ERA with a three nine three FIP and a four seven eight X FIP. And that's really just small sample size running havoc over the stat page because those th- that combination of ERA, FIP, and xFIP is just not sustainable. And I mean, he's got a perfect, uh, you know, fifty fifty percent ground ball to uh, fly ball rate. So he's fifty fifty on ground balls and fly balls. Uh, he's just it's you know the, what you're looking for is is how how are the pitches looking and the reports are that his um, that his fastball is playing, that his breaking pitches are looking pretty good and he's he's coming in and, and getting the work in and and this, this is i mean this is the process you know you're you want to get him out there you want to get him comfortable you want him working on on developing that pitch mix and i mean that's you know one of the questions about him is how many above average pitches is he going to end up with uh but you know the fastball is looking good and as long as that ends up being what they were hoping for everything else is going to end up being you know kind of ancillary to that it's it's going to be supporting the fastball so
1: uh, yeah, and this we're... this is the time where he's going to develop the secondary pitches even even more. So it's possible that one or two of those end up becoming plus pitches as well.
0: Yeah, I mean he's got the uh, I think he has a slider as as his best breaking pitch um and I think the the Sox prospects guys uh, had 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 a chance to see him said it flashed uh, future plus. So that's, that's a good sign. It's going to be a while before we have a good read on him, but it'll be fun to see how, how the numbers start settling in over a larger sample. And we'll probably get to talk about him at least one more time before the minor league season runs out. Uh, I don't know if we'll get a, a, a third check in on him before that happens, but, uh, we can probably do a season wrap up for him at that point.
1: Cole Brandon, we have a little bit more data on. He's been an, he's played an 18 games so far and has made seven 77 plate appearances. Again, we're not talking about a huge sample size. It's a small sample size by by any stretch of the imagination. However, he's put up 139 a 139 wRC plus so far. Um, that is in large part due to his 461 on base percentage. He is currently um, sitting on a 15.6 percent K rate and 20.8 percent walk rate. <laughs> And um, that's absurd. And a BABIP of 370. Um, But one thing that he has shown, he's he's already swiped five bags. Which one of the things, one of the tools that Cole Brandon um, attracted the Red Sox with, was his speed. So he's he's already starting to swipe bags. He's already and score runs. He's already got ten runs, Um, and that's not insignificant in 18 games. Actually, so he's he's been pretty good. Um, Obviously. Still a small sample size, but his slash line is two ninety three, <laughs> four sixty one, two ninety three. So he's not hitting <laughs> so for any power, but he's uh, he he's walking. So he's hitting a he's hitting a bunch of singles and he's walking a whole lot. Um, so that's good. He's he's at least a patient hitter. Yeah, yeah, he's doing
0: what what he was drafted. Um, what they knew about him when he, when when he was drafted. He's got speed. He's playing good defense. He takes some walks, and yeah, he's, he hits some singles. So uh, the power is, is going to be a long-term project with him. He doesn't have a lot of power. He's never going to have a ton of power. But the hope is he develops into, like, a 15-home run threat at, at, in his prime. Uh, but he's, he's a long way from there. And, uh, it, you know, that I love slash lines that look like this. Uh, they're just so quirky. They're weird. Yep. You know, two nine three, four six one, two nine three, there's And there's balance there. It's this weird... Kind of faux balance, which is fun, uh, but yeah. So he, he's he's off to a pretty good start, and at some point he'll hit a double, and, and that's lucky. Will come up a tick, yeah, and, and we won't have this this bizarre um, sort of. It's almost like a mountain peak.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, sure, it certainly is.
0: <laughs> so that's uh that, that brings us to the end of the show. Um, you know, we came in well under an hour today, which is nice. We're moving along, trucking along.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much any podcast app you can think of. We will be there. If we are not, send us an email and we'll get ourselves set up. Uh, but please do rate and review the show. You can find us both on Twitter. I am at dyden
1: d d y d y n, and I am at j one gorman. That's j the number one g o r m a n. You can find sons of samhorn dot uh, com
0: on Twitter at soshbaseball s o s h baseball. S-O-S-H baseball. You can find the show on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Sochcast, S-O-S-H cast, and you can always email us at Sochcast at gmail.com. As always, we thank you for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope that when we check in with you uh, on our next episode, the Red Sox will have gone on a nice run. Uh, neither Justin nor I are going to be in town next week, so we will be taking next week off, and we'll get back uh, back to work uh, the, week, the weekend following, so... Thank you again for listening. We will be back in two weeks.